Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Ramshirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. Ramshirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ramshirts. Visit Ramshirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Without further ado, today's guest, former Major League Baseball pitcher and author Pat Combs. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Today I'm joined by former Major League pitcher and author of the book, More Than the Score, Pat Combs. Pat, thanks for hopping on with me today. Hey, Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks uh, for having me. Looking forward to it. So you were a former first-round pick, number 11 in the draft for the Phillies in 1988. I was a junior in high school. (laughs) And this is the first thing I want to talk about. I didn't know – I didn't think this was like a – not rare, whatever the opposite of rare is. I didn't. I, I I didn't know about this stat. I didn't even know it was something that even happened. But it's called a golden season. This is something I learned, you know, researching you. But you went from a ball all the way to the majors in one season. You played at every level of baseball in one season, and that's that's pretty rare, right? Yeah, it is. It's uh. You know, I call it the the right place at the right time, you know, with uh, being drafted by the Phillies uh, in 88. And it was uh, a situation where the Phillies needed pitching. You know, they had uh, they had really traded away a lot of their young up and comers during their big playoff runs there in the in the mid 80s. Of course, you might remember when the Astros played them in 83 uh, in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, that's what happened. So their minor league, you know, it was really struggling at that time. And, and uh, when I got drafted, it was uh, a pretty clear path to get to the big leagues quickly just because they needed some help. So uh, it, w- it, was a, it was a fun ride. I got drafted 88, played on the Olympic team that summer. So didn't start my official pro career till 89 and started in A-ball in Clearwater, uh, went to AA in Reading after a few weeks, went to AAA in Scranton after a few months, and then was called up as a September 
call up uh, in uh, in Philadelphia at the end of the season. So yeah, hit all the stops, and I was a uh, I guess the first player to do that. And then uh, I think Andrew Jones, maybe Aaron Nola did it uh, after me. But uh, yeah, I get that distinction every every once in a while. I see a a, uh, a question pop up on on the screens in the big league ballparks, and who was the first player to do that? So I guess I become kind of a uh, a question at the ballparks now. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even – something else I learned last year was – I think it was last year or the year before, but the immaculate inning, you know, where you just throw nine pitches or something like that. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing until somebody <laughs> did it. I think Will Harris did it. Yeah, yeah. there's been a few of those. Yeah, we, we had a – used to have a reward in the Phillies system up and down, you know, big leagues all the way down to the minor leagues. If you did that, the, the pitching coach would have to buy you a steak dinner. So that that's a thing too. <laughs> You know, looking back at your your uh, minor league season there, you know, the A ball, you had a 130 ERA, triple A, you were 3-0 and with the 0.37 ERA. And then, you know, you got the call-up for the Phillies. You said it was September call-up? Yeah, of 89. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, I have here that you went 4-0 and with a 2.09 ERA. So, man, what a season you had. Yeah, that was uh, that was something special. It really was. I, you know, had a great uh, pitching coach when I was at Baylor, and uh, Sid Hudson, a former big leaguer and, and big league uh, coach as well, and uh, just really, you know, refined me as a as a pitcher there in, in two seasons. And I was able to to uh, get drafted by the right team, the you know, Phillies that needed some help, and, and they just had a great season. You know, really uh, was felt like I was um, I was ready for it. You know, I'd played on the Olympic team in 88 that summer and then 87 played on the USA team as well. So played against some of the top, you know, amateur competition in the world for two seasons. And that really got me ready. You know, it, it was, um, it was one of those things where I felt uh, mentally prepared to, to play at that level. Uh, physically, certainly I, you know, was throwing the ball well, but it just all kind of came together in 89. And, and uh, so took, took that quick elevator right up to the big leagues. And then uh, that September uh, had six starts, uh, the Phillies, we won all all six of those starts. I was 4-0, had a couple of no decisions, but we won those games as well. So, yeah, quickly became uh, kind of the heir apparent, you know, according to the media in Philadelphia, the heir apparent to Steve Carlton. And um, I would never have made that comparison because I, I watched, you know, the Steve Carlton era when he and Nolan Ryan were battling for the uh, the, the leader, all-time leader for strikeouts. And so became a huge fan of, of Lefty when he was, when he was uh, in his later years in Philadelphia. So, you know, to make that kind of comparison was very honoring, but uh, also uh, looking forward in my career thinking, you know, uh, yeah, I've had a great ride, had a great start to my major league uh, career, but, um, you know, got a long way to go before you can start calling me the next lefty. So anyway, but it was, it was a fun ride, 89, sure was. So one thing to point out, since this is an Astros podcast, you actually went to high school in Houston, right? Yeah, Rob, I was a huge Astros fan. I was a Astros buddy growing up. Uh, and, you know, followed the Astros religiously, and, and uh, they were my team. So I was a little disappointed I didn't get drafted by the Phillies, I mean, by the Astros. They had a chance, actually, to draft me. They had the ninth pick in the draft that year, and they chose to go with a high school outfielder named uh, Willie Ainsley. Uh, I think he, he had a short minor league career, had some injuries, and, and then never never materialized for the Astros, but, um, yeah, I had a little extra motivation when I was pitching against the Strohs when I got to the big leagues. And, and of course those were the, the, the young killer B years. So, you know, 
uh, looked up to guys like Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell and and then they had uh, the, the big hitter there, Glenn Davis, you know, and uh, Alan Ashby. So, that, that, yeah, huge Astros fans. And, and uh, uh, kind of a, a quick side story. Um, later on, after I, we moved back to Houston, you know, started going to church at uh, Second Baptist there. And, and uh, Craig Reynolds became a pastor at Second. And I was sitting there one day with talking with Craig and said, man, you know, you were my Astros buddy when I was a young player. And, you know, when you say that to older players, they, they kind of laugh and, you know, and, and, and of course, Craig said in, in his gracious way, yeah, you make me feel a little old, but I'm glad you chose me because uh, it was that, that was a fun program. You know, you get to get to meet the player and get get an autograph and things. But, you know, those were some fun days growing up in Houston. When you got drafted, that's like 88. I mean, there's no TV coverage of baseball draft. I mean, how did you find out? Just somebody just called you? Yeah, that's exactly what happened back in those days. Yeah, there was no social media, no no television coverage of the draft. And so, in fact, when the Phillies called me, they were one of the very few teams I had never heard from. Because usually, even back in, in the day, they would have you sign uh, these player cards. And so they would collect, uh, you know, your, your personal data. Um, you know, and then they would obviously scout you. But most teams would contact you and have a discussion with you prior to the draft and just ask those those questions like they still do today. You know, what – from a monetary standpoint, what will it take to draft and sign you? And so um, I never heard from the Phillies, though. So when I got the call, uh, it was a scout named Cotton Nye. And Cotton said, hey, um, you know, Cotton from the Phillies, I just want to let you know we drafted you and took you the 11th overall pick. So congratulations. I'm like, yeah, right. Who is this? Right. I, didn't, <laughs> I thought it was a buddy <laughs> playing a trick on me. And he goes, no, this is really uh, Cotton Nye with the Phillies. That he had to say like three or four times. It finally hit me like, I think this guy's really telling me the truth. I'm like, so I had to ask the question. I said, well, how, how come you guys never contacted me before the draft? He said, well, that's just the way the Phillies choose to do things. We don't like to, you know, let the cat out of the bag in terms of who we're looking at to draft. And so <laughs> it caught me a little bit by surprise, but um, sure glad it was the Phillies. I was able to uh, obviously be with that the team that needed some pitching and uh, got me to the big leagues very quickly. Out of high school, you ended up going to Baylor where you were an All-American and I don't know how many years later, but you're enshrined in their, uh, I guess, Athletics Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was a huge honor. Yeah, it was uh, uh, back in, uh, gosh, I think it was 2000, 2011 was when I got inducted into the Baylor Hall of Fame. And then the uh, Seoul, the Olympic team, you, you won the gold medal. Uh, that has to be pretty awesome. Where are you, where are you just playing that at? <laughs> well, it, the, the quick story about that, Rob, is that it was a demonstration sport in 88. So if you remember back when they first reintroduced baseball into the Olympics, it was 84 was the first team uh, that, that the USA team, when they you know, participated, got the silver medal. And that was uh, you know, Jack Clark and, and um, Bobby Thigpen. That was a tremendous team. But um, in fact, when they compared us to the 84 team, we were, we were the 88 team, they, it was often said by – the, the college coaches that, that coached us, even that the 84 team was more uh, talented, but we, we put it all together and won the gold and it was in Seoul that year, as you, as you talked about. And um, yeah, so the, uh, the story is that it, because it was a demonstration sport, they had to cut the roster size to 20 players and there were uh, three alternates and then two other coaches who didn't get, the gold medal. So I don't have the gold medal, but we, we went back to Memphis, Tennessee, where we trained. They presented us with uh, with rings. So we all got a kind of a gold ring, you know, it signified the championship. But uh, yeah, that was a 
incredible run, incredible time. And, and when I think back on my baseball career, man, no greater pride than, than putting the USA on my chest and, and playing for our country. And then obviously winning the, the first gold medal for, for America in the sport of baseball. When your baseball career ended, did you have any idea what you wanted to do? You know, I did. I, I had um, studied finance at Baylor and really thought ahead that if, uh, if I were to make it in, in Major League Baseball and, and made a little money, I, would, I really needed to know how to, how to take care of it, you know, and invest it correctly and, and uh, budget and all that. So I, I really was interested in, in finance from my college days and thankfully uh, was surrounded by some really smart, you know, financial people, investment leaders and, and learned it uh, pretty well. So I, I was really intrigued by it and studied it hard. Even when I was playing, I, I was probably one of the few nerdy guys that would read the wall street journal as we're on the team flights and stuff. But I just always had an interest in that, in that arena. And so uh, when I got out, I transitioned into wealth management and have been in it ever since. So also I see here uh, behavioral analytics and consultants for uh, numerous athletes, major league baseball and uh, national football league and corporate leaders. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, when I got out of ball, um, one of the things that, that I was always intrigued about was the behavioral side of the game, you know, and when I play with the Phillies, we had such an incredibly talented team, Rob, but it was, it was also made up of some characters, you know, guys like Lenny Dykstra and uh, Darren Dalton, John Crook, you know, to name a few. Mm. And, you know, it was as incredible a run as we did when we got to the playoffs in 93, we beat the Braves, um, got to the World Series, lost to Toronto. But looking back, I thought, man, we we should have uh, had a, a team that could that could have built a dynasty, much like the Braves did in the 90s. And um, and when I when I look back at that, you know, the things that, that really hurt us were were the behaviors of certain players, you know, and, and on the field, some of these behaviors worked really well. You know, the hyper competitiveness uh, kind of that, that when it all costs mindset that a lot of the guys had it in. But man, you take those same behaviors off the field and they were disastrous and it really caused uh, a number of those players to shorten their careers. You know, just the, the ability to, to have some self-control in some areas was really a problem. And so again, just, uh, I was always intrigued in, about the behavioral side of the game and ended up uh, connecting with a company at that time was called the flipping group out of college station. Uh, but the uh, owner of the company, a guy named flip flipping of all names, uh, <laughs> he is, uh, he's, he's one of the best people I've ever met and, and mentored me and, and uh, just a tremendous leader uh, in and of himself. But he, uh, he took me through a, a profile, which was a behavioral focused profile. And um, it really got my attention because it, it not only was my assessment on myself of how I saw myself behaviorally, but then I would get you know, six, seven people that knew me well, and they would also take the same profile. And it provided a, a lot of feedback in, in some areas that, um, you know, I, I needed to take a, a stronger look at and areas I needed to improve on. And as I began applying this in my life, I started seeing some changes. And I took that same tool to a guy that you'll probably recognize the name Tom House. And Tom was uh, obviously a big league pitcher, um, you know, uh, became later a, a coach, was Nolan Ryan's personal pitching coach after he and Nolan had hooked up at, with the Rangers up in Arlington. And then uh, Tom built a company that really uh, helped major league pitchers and NFL quarterbacks refine their skills and get better. When I showed it to Tom, I said, Tom, I'd love for you to take a look at this tool. I think it's very intriguing, but it really helped me to improve. And I want to get your take on it. 
Tom went through it and gave it to a couple of players. Uh, Tom Brady was one of them. And, uh, and Tom's assessment was, you know, I remember the, fo- the phone call, this was 23 years ago. He said, Pat, where'd you get this tool? I said, well, a guy in College Station. And, and uh, so he said, man, this is something I've been looking for my, my entire career. This is really going to help me speed up coaching these players and developing them. Uh, it kind of gives me an inside look at what's underneath the hood in their head. And uh, this is really going to be helpful as we as we train and and uh, help mentor these these pro athletes. So uh, Tom and I just built a relationship and a and a process to run these guys through uh, behavioral analysis and and then give feedback and hold them accountable to some behaviors they were trying to improve. And then we took it to to some major league clubs who ended up uh, adopting that tool for their draft analysis. So so I've been doing that for about 23 years now, and it's been been great. We have a number of clubs that that use it. We use it NFL combine, uh, to scout to help NFL scouts gather data as well as major league scouts. So we work with a lot of scouting departments, but it's really a, a really good, strong player development tool. And that's where, uh, kind of that next gen of what we're taking, you know, uh, to help, um, to help coaches really understand their players better and, and help them, uh, coach up on the behavioral side. Another thing you're doing is a baseball color analyst for college baseball. I see Fox ESPN, you cover some games for Baylor. How'd that happen? <laughs> I mean, you, you're doing a lot of stuff already. I know, man. It's uh, I'll say this. My life is not boring. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, and I've also been called, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I can, I can wear that label proudly. Um, well, you know, the broadcasting thing almost came about by mistake. It was a uh, a friend of mine named Ron Thulin. Uh, Ron had been involved with Fox Sports and still is, does a lot of college football and basketball. Uh, but Ron got assigned a college baseball game back in 2012, and he called me and said, hey, um, I just got assigned uh, Fox Game of the Week. It's it's uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, the Bedlam game in, in uh, Oki City. I'm looking for a color guy. And, and I thought he was asking me, who do I know? So I start reeling off names. He goes, Pat, I'm not asking about guys you know. I want you to do the game with me. I'm like, well, Ron, I'm not a broadcaster. I don't, I don't know anything about it. And he said, no, we're just going to talk baseball. You can do that. And I said, yeah, I, I can, I can talk baseball. But uh, he got me on the broadcast, and uh, about halfway through the game, Ron pulled his headphones off. I thought he was upset about something I, I had said. And he, he, and this is between innings. He said, um, he said, man, you're a natural at this. You need to, you need to continue doing this. I'm like. Dude, I, I don't know if I have time to do this. I'm coaching my kids, but you know what, what does all this entail? Well, Fox Sports gave me a call after the game and said, "Hey, we'd like to sign you to a contract and cover the Big 12 next year." And so that kind of launched into uh, covering Big 12 baseball. And then uh, Baylor started doing their own broadcasts, and of course, uh, started working with the Baylor team. And and uh, it's just been a blast, Rob. I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it is a hobby. Uh, I take it seriously, but it's. It's just a lot of fun. I the way I look at it now is I, I get people that actually pay me to sit behind a mic and talk about baseball at some of these great college games, and uh, it's just been a blast. I've had a lot of fun with it. All right, now let's move on to your book, your new book, uh, More Than the Score. Uh, what was your motivation for this? You know, my motivation really goes back to when I was coaching my own sons. I had three sons, um, Carson, Connor, and Casey, uh, the three C's, and. Uh, you know, it, it was just such a blast coaching those guys when they were young and, and playing in, in various youth sports, you know, not just baseball. They, they picked up football, basketball, whatever's in season. Um, my, my oldest son became a hockey player and then played collegiately. And then my, my younger two sons, uh, Connor and Casey, both played uh, baseball at East Texas Baptist. 
uh, in college. And then my youngest son, Casey, was drafted by the Marlins as, as a catcher in their organization. So this was a culmination of just going back into my career and the fun that we had growing up and me being able to be their, their dad coach, but then also being, you know, on the sidelines. I, I didn't know anything about hockey. So my wife and I were, were hockey parents, um, you know, and basketball parents. I didn't coach basketball, but, um, you know, just, just the fun that we had. And I think the motivation for me, Rob, was, was seeing how much youth sports has changed over time to where, you know, when you and I were growing up, I think the emphasis was more so on, on having fun, you know, playing with your buddies, being in a community. You know, I remember the Little League All-Star games that we had growing up were just fabulous. I mean, the, the communities for each Little League would show up, and it was just a great community-oriented sport. And it was it was all about having fun and enjoying the game. And, and now it seems like the culture in youth sports has shifted to it's this win-at-all-cost mentality, and I've got to help my kid, you know, get this Division One scholarship or help him get to pro ball or, or become a pro golfer, whatever it is, right? And and so it's um, it's just been a culture shift, and I, I've seen some deterioration in terms of of just the perspective of youth sports. You know, when when parents are yelling and screaming at coaches and umpires, and it's just taking the joy out of the game, and and then you see coaches acting like knuckleheads on the field and uh, assaulting umpires. It's just uh, to me that the the whole uh, shift here has has been negative, and you know I wanted to refocus parents back onto the idea that. What, what sport has really been designed for and where I think what I think God gave a sport as a gift was in, in helping your kids to focus on character and virtue and learn the, the great skills that sports can teach us. You know, you not only think about the physical things that, that are helpful in development for, for children, but you think about all the social things that they learn, the, the leadership development, the character, the, you know, learning how to win with, with, uh, with, a dignity and grace and learning how to lose that way. And, uh, just the interactions with coaches and, and, um, learning how to accept feedback and, and put things into practice. So it's, to me, there's just so many life skills that are, that can be developed in our kids that will last them way beyond the game and way beyond the time that they have in sports. And for me, when I look back on, on my career, Rob, I'm so thankful God gave me the ability to, to pitch and, and, you know, I had a great left arm and I got to play in the big leagues and it was, it was a blast. But the things I learned from the game that have carried on with me as a business person, um, you know, in terms of giving back, of, of having a, a, a leadership mindset of it's not about me. It's about serving the greater good of the community and my teammates and the people I get to work with daily. And those, those things cannot be replaced. And those are the skills that we get to learn participating in sports. So let's focus back on those things and, and build our kids up and encourage them, let them enjoy the game. That, that to me, is the most important part. So really, it's just kind of a shift of perspectives and how parents and coaches are looking at the game and how we're using it with our kids. When I was a kid playing baseball, we played for our school in the summer. We didn't really play for the school, but somehow I guess they provided the uniforms. And we played with our friends. We played with the guys in our neighborhood. We played with our friends from school. And, you know, we would get upset if we lost, but, you know, five minutes later, we're getting suicides, you know, from the Coke machine and we're over it. You know, we're just having fun. You remember getting suicides? Oh, man. Oh, our, our baseball coach would take us into the basketball court and we would do those suicides. And it was <laughs> until somebody threw up, we, we had to do it. <laughs> well, what I'm talking about is uh, after the game, our coach would take us to get sodas. And this, a suicide was getting every soda. Oh, man. Oh, 
that that's suicide. That's a way better suicide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we didn't get punished. No, it wasn't like that. But it was fun. I mean, baseball was yeah. fun. And now I see. I mean, I have friends that have kids, and they're at tournaments every weekend. You know, they're traveling everywhere and spending all this money. And I'm like, you're a way better parent than I am because I don't think I would do that. I mean, my if yeah, okay, son, you want to do that? Well, get a ride with somebody else because I I got a life to live and go and watch you play baseball every weekend. It's not what I want to do, but I'll watch you one season. I mean, you know, we played football, then we played basketball, we wrestled, we ran track, we did everything, and it seems like these guys are just, I don't know, I think they're just taking it too serious. So it, it's good that someone you know, is pointing this out to people and hopefully they read it and learn something. Yeah. Well, Rob, well, thanks for that. I, and you're, you're dead on, man. It's, you know, it, um, it, it's difficult because look, as a parent, we want the best for our kids. I've never run into a parent that says, yeah, I want my kid to fail. Um, our kids are going to fail naturally. It's, it's what we do with it. But the, I think the major point of this is, um, you know, very, very few kids are ever going to get the shot to play uh, even high school sports, right? And even beyond that, you think of college and then the next level to pro sports. I mean, it's like you look at uh, the 40 million kids across America that are involved in youth athletics, 0.001% of them will get a chance to play at the highest level. So if, if that's your goal for your kids, that I want my kid to become the next Tiger Woods or LeBron James, um, or even your mindset is I want my kid to get the Division One scholarship, or you know, I want my kid to be the, the, the best starter on his high school team. If, if that's your goal, that is a misplaced goal. And you're, you're going to be very, very disappointed with the outcome. If your goal is, I want my kid to enjoy sports. I want him to learn all the things we just talked about in terms of character development and virtue. And I want them to be coached by terrific coaches who understand the game, but also treat the kids with dignity and respect. If that's your goal, you're going to be really, really pleased with the outcome. And so I think it really goes, it's a, it's a perspective shift, right? And you're right, Rob, today, uh, th this whole select club sports thing has just gotten so far out of hand. Uh, it used to be 15 years ago, the elite players would play select ball and there's, there's a need for it. I'm not saying don't play uh, select baseball or select sports. I'm saying get a really strong evaluation of your kids before you do that, because you're exactly right. Your, your friends, uh, you know, being pulled away every weekend with, with chasing these trophies and, and going to all these different tournaments. There's a need for that for the very elite players, but for probably 90% of the players, man, just let them enjoy the game in recreational leagues. And if they want to play some competitive tournaments, maybe you pick up two or three in a summer, but, but man, way too many parents are getting their kids involved in club sports and they are getting jerked around in terms of the financial obligations. And I, I've got this part in my book. When you sit down and start doing the budget, you know, and it goes something like this, Rob. It, you'll, your kid will be playing one day at, at some local rec league. The phone rings. Hey, we've been watching your kid play. We think he can play select ball. And we want him to come on our, you know, super crazy, awesome team that goes around and wins all these tournaments. Uh, so to sign up for our team, it's going to cost you 2500 bucks. It's going to cost you another 800 bucks for their uniforms because we always, you know, we, we always order three different uniforms for our kids. We want to look like a big league team. And then, oh, by the way, your equipment's going to cost you another 500 bucks. We always get it embroidered, right? Kids have all their names and everything. And then we're going to go to these best tournaments in the world every summer. You're going to spend about seven to $8,000 trailing your kids around hotels, food, you know, tournament fees. So by the time you're done with the summer league, 
you're out 10 grand and you've had all these promises about how your kid's going to become the next LeBron and you're sitting back going, now, why did I do this? <laughs> right? So <laughs> it is getting crazy. But uh, yeah, I think that's where parents just have to kind of settle things down, really think through, you know, first of all, is my son or daughter, have they been given the talent to play at that elite level? Uh, if yeah. they have, maybe that's, there's a reason to chase some of those things. But, you know, most parents have the rose-colored glasses on and can't really properly assess their kids. So you just got to be careful in, in, in terms of what you're doing with your son and daughter. And if, if look, if all they have is talent to play rec league or maybe a, a slightly you know higher competitive level above that, Man, let them enjoy the game. Let them play in their community. Don't don't spend all these thousands of dollars chasing your kids around, uh, you know, the, the country on these weekend tournaments. Yeah, you talked about having the talent. That's that's one of my questions. Um, you know, you know, these guys are paying, you know, twenty five, three thousand dollars, whatever you were saying. I mean, there's kids that are really good that their parents can't afford to do this. So these guys running around doing all these tournaments, they're not necessarily the best players, you know? And so the parents uh, putting all this money out, they may be, they may be having higher expectations for their kid and then their kid's not really that talented. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's where we've seen this explosion in, in uh, select teams and club teams I'll just give you a quick example, Rob, because I, I still coach uh, summer league baseball. We've got a group called the Dallas Patriots, very successful organization. You know, we're usually top 10 in the country every summer and we compete in the biggest tournaments now. So that's why I say there, there is a there's a purpose for those elite level type teams. But um, 15 years ago, we started playing in a tournament called Perfect Game. They have their, their big national uh, tournament in Atlanta every year. Uh, 15 years ago, there were there were about 75 teams that, that participated in that tournament. And it was the best teams from across the country. I mean, we played teams from California, Florida, you know, the Midwest. I mean, they, they brought some of the best ball players across the country. These were all the kids that were going to play Division I baseball, maybe some junior college kids. But they were future D1 guys, maybe even future draft picks. And it was super competitive, fabulous baseball. I fast forward you to last year before the pandemic year. And the summer before, there were 420 teams entered in this tournament. And the quality was, was just not very good. I mean, we, you have to win a bracket to get into the, into the championship tournament. And of course, all the major you know, teams that, that are really good get into that, that bracket. But we, we were beating teams like, you know, 24 to 1, you know, 15 to 2. I mean, they just weren't very good teams. But, but their parents had signed them up, paid all these fees, paid the travel fees, and they, they got to say, my kid plays for the Houston whatever, right? Or yeah. the, the Dallas Storm or whatever, right, to go play in this big tournament. And, and they really were a, a team of, of rec league kids. And I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, boy, that's a, that's a huge investment uh, for your kid to sign up and play at that elite level, and they just don't have the talent. And then you're going to be out all this money. And it's, uh, it is, it's, it's just gotten kind of crazy in that way. And I – so – Again, going back to the book, I'm, I'm hoping to give parents a perspective about this, but also be prepared. Um, you know, when your kids do have talent, celebrate that. You know, get them on a select team or a club team because they are going to face great competition. They will be able to to get seen by college scouts and pro scouts. There is a place for that. But man, let's let's figure out our our why. You got to answer that question of why am I doing what I'm doing with my my son or daughter, and is it a fit? Is it the right fit for them to go do these things? Yeah, I mean, you take your kid to the 
tournament with 420 teams and they get demolished, I mean, you have to think, I've wasted a lot of money. And what you're talking about earlier, all those fees, it seems like somebody has turned this youth baseball into some sort of big big business. I mean, someone's got to be making money. Is it the oh, guys man. creating the teams? You nailed it, Rob. They're, they're, and that's the thing we're seeing, right? There's a lot of money going into youth sports these days where it's it's just that's what's changed, right? And you're exactly right. The, the coaches, the organizations are being built. And look, I think some of these guys do it for the right reasons. They want to coach kids. They want to you know train them up and, and help them you know, learn the right skills. But that's what's happening. There's an explosion in these these select club organizations, and it's a money game. I mean, they're just chasing the, the dollar. And when you get somebody calling you saying, hey, we're recruiting your kid to play for our, you know, select group, you know, the first thing you think about the parent, wow, finally, somebody knows that my talented son or daughter, right? <laughs> Why yeah. did it take this long, right? So they just feed your ego. And, and so what I'm asking parents to do is really think through, you know, are, are your kids talented? If they are, great. Celebrate that. Move them on to some, some select club game. Be ready for the costs. You know, it's going to cost you a lot. Um, it may not be for everybody. And I do want to say this, Rob, because I think parents need to hear this. If your child is good enough, if they have talent in whatever sport they're playing in, they will be found. They don't have to play club ball and you don't have to give into that pressure. I, I promise you, if there's a talented baseball player or softball player in high school and they're not part of a club team and they're putting up numbers in high school, I promise you college coaches are going to talk to, to that, that high school coach. and Your kid will be seen and be found. So there's not – you don't need to have the pressure of my child has to play in selector club ball to get seen. That is a lie. Um, but a lot of parents buy into it. They just don't know. Uh, you know, they, 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 it's just kind of a pride thing as well. But uh, it shouldn't be about us. It shouldn't be about us as parents. What's in the best interest of my son or daughter? What are they talented to do? What gifts and talents do they have? And how do we nurture them best to help them at whatever competitive level they're at? And that's where we have to get a better perspective in terms of what we're doing with our kids in, in the youth sports game. All right. So the book is More Than the Score, How Parents and Coaches Can Cultivate Virtue in Youth Athletics. If you don't have anything else to add, I think you summed it up pretty good there at the end. Well, Rob, thanks a bunch, man. I'll I just say this. It does have a lot of stories about our family. Uh, some of the things that we did really well, some of the things that we didn't do so well. So we're, we're, we just opened it up. My wife and I both thought, you know, we want to share our experiences with people and uh, let them just uh, to kind of take the ride with us. So um, uh, that's it, man. I, I appreciate it. It's been fun. And I, I hope uh, some folks will go out and get the book. I think it'll be helpful, especially if you have a, a kid participating in youth athletics. Yeah, we talked earlier. We're going to try to keep it at 30 minutes. And I'll tell you this, Pat, I could talk to you for like two hours. Oh, man. Well, Rob, we'll do it again. Yeah, if you have a slot, I'd be glad to come back on. It's uh, It's been a joy to be with you, and, and thanks again for the opportunity to join you today. All right, thanks for coming on, and thanks, you guys, for listening. Uh, today's episode of Astros Baseball. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. 
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.